Hello to everyone. I'm thankful for another opportunity to get to study the Word of God, look into His Word, and uh, I hope everyone has enjoyed the study of Elijah and Elisha so far as we're two in, and uh, we're not really close to Elisha yet, but he is coming, and we'll get there. But last time we looked at Elijah, and he appears out of Scripture, before King Ahab, he declares the judgments of God upon Israel because of their sin, and they have forsaken God, and they've destroyed um, the altars to God. They've resurrected altars to Baal. They've brought up altars of the groves to Ashtaroth and to all these false gods. Ahab has married Jezebel, who was an idolatrous and a wicked woman, and through both of them they uh, committed and brought forth much evil in Israel. So it was a time of great spiritual as well as natural darkness in the land of Israel. God brings Elijah forth to declare his judgments. And as we've said, and I think it's a, a wonderful saying, in times of great darkness and hopelessness, God brings forth a great prophet. And Elijah steps out, and then after that he declares this judgment, God sends Elijah to hide in the wilderness by the brook Cherith, where the ravens were going to bring him food and uh, he was going to drink of the brook. And remember that the hiding was not as much uh, for Elijah's safety, but I, I believe he's hiding there as a means to... They, they're not going to be able to find God during this time. God has declared these judgments, and God is not going to hear their prayer. He's not going to hear their cry. They're not going to be able to find him, and certainly they don't find the man of God. But God has hid him there, and we talked about the miracle of the ravens feeding him, and the great work of God that takes that that's naturally a ravenous eater and makes it a, a servant to carry food to Elijah, and how that today God takes those that are naturally wicked sinners and through His grace and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel comes to their lives, changes their nature, and makes them to be servants of the Most High God through the Spirit. So we'll pick up there down in verse 5 is where we got to. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. And remember, God's give him direction to go hide. And Elijah went and did. He's not going to question whether that's a good idea or not. He's not going to uh, argue with God about what he's commanded. But as we read in Proverbs 3, verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. So Elijah is going to do exactly as God commanded. And I, the wording in the Bible, so perfect. And uh, over and over again you see just how wonderfully written and interpreted that some of these things are. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He not only went down to the brook Cherith and smoked over the spot, you know, I believe the nature of man, you go and look and say, well, this isn't going to work, this isn't sufficient, and you second guess. Uh, but Elijah went to the place that God told him to go, and he did. He dwelt there 
not questioning, but trusting in the Lord with all of his heart, even when it appears to not make any sense whatsoever, even when it's opposed to the natural order, when God commands, you can count on God's commandment and God coming through on what he said. So Elijah went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. So what do we find? We find that God provided for Elijah exactly the way that God said he would provide. And that is something that the children of God can always count on. When we are following God's commandment and God's leadership, you can count on God doing what He said He was going to do. God is not uh, opposed to accomplishing that, but the promises we have in His Word are absolutely certain. God cannot. It's impossible for God to lie. So God cannot promise something and not come through on His end. The Word of God is absolutely, without any question or doubt in the mind, the Word of God is 100% certain. So He's going to go hide by the brook and dwell there. And you know, uh, I may have said this last time, I'm not 100% sure, but this place, this brook, Cherith, before Jordan... Uh, man still doesn't know exactly where God sent Elijah to. Um, there's opinions and thoughts, but nobody definitively says that I found anyway. I believe this is where he was at. Th th this is possible. You hear a lot of that. But I've, I've not heard anybody say for certain. So God's hiding place. And you talk about Job said, if, if he hides himself, how can I find him? There's no way man's going to find him. And this hiding place in the land of Israel that God sent Elijah to was so good that Ahab and Ahab's army and Ahab's servants, they're not going to find him. And some 3,000 years later, nearly, man's still not able to find where God hid Elijah. And friends, when God hides himself from man, as he says in the days of Noah, my spirit shall not always strive with man. When God withdraws from man, there will be no finding him. There's no effort that man can put forth and find God when God is hiding himself from man. And that's why we have all through the scripture today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. And he says in Isaiah, call upon the Lord while he may be found. We've got to come to God while there's opportunity because when God withdraws, there is no more opportunity. Man's not going to cry loud enough and God hear. When God withdraws, God is withdrawn. So the ravens bring him bread and flesh in the morning and in the evening. God provides for him exactly what he needs to be sustained and to survive. And we find that over and over again through the Word of God. And if you look in the next chapter, now, you know, you could feel sorry for yourself, and certainly Elijah could, because he's not eating as good as the devil's men are eating. 
In chapter 18, verse 19, Now therefore send and gather me together all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal four hundred and fifty, and the prophets of the groves four hundred, which eat at Jezebel's table. Now, I don't know what the king had, but I'd say the king had the best table there was in the land to eat at, and that's where the devil's men were eating. Now, does that mean that God had blessed them more than God was blessing Elijah? No, I mean, just to say that sounds wrong, but in the flesh we think that sometimes. As we look on the world, I believe we're a lot like David was. When we look on the wicked and how that they're prospering and how that they're doing seemingly even better than us, uh, th there's that enviousness within us. And David said, My feet now well slipped when I began to look. But David went down to the house of God and he saw their end. Now, looking fleshly, it looks like the prophets of Baal have it better than Elijah. And in the flesh they do. But they're going to be killed in just a few days. And in hell they're going to lift their eyes. So, though it appears in the flesh that serving the devil is the most beneficial way for you to travel. Know this, there's going to be an end to that way, and the end is always in destruction. But there's this also. There were other prophets, there was a hundred prophets, that Obadiah hid. And so Obadiah hides them, and the Bible says in chapter 18, verse 4, took a hundred prophets, hid them by fifty in a cave, and fed them with bread and water. They didn't have meat. So Elijah had it better than those. And I believe, I believe that's always the case. Elijah wasn't as well off as some, but he was better off than others. And there man always is. There's always going to be somebody that's faring better than you, but you're going to be faring better than others. And so there we are. There Elijah was. And uh, are we going to be angry with God? I, I think not. But the, the care should be, don't suppose that gain is godliness. I believe that we could all laugh in the inward man if I told you that the prophets of Baal were blessed more <clears throat> than this great man Elijah. That's not the case. That can't be the case. That's foolishness to think that way. But that thought process is so indwelled in the flesh and in the carnal mind of man that God repeats it in the New Testament. Don't suppose that gain is godliness. Turn away from that type of thinking. <clears throat> I'm sorry. And so... Uh, here, Elijah is eating bread and water, drinking of the brook as the ravens bring to him. And I believe we could see some very wise words in Proverbs chapter 30, verse number 8. You listen to the, uh, the writer here. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Neither give me poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me lest I be full and deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal, and take the name of my God in vain. So very wise words and wise direction here. He's praying unto God, God, don't let me be too full 
that I deny you and that I turn my back on serving you. And don't let me be so hungry that I fall into sin. But feed me with what's convenient. And I believe that's what we see here for Elijah. God is feeding Elijah with what's convenient. Elijah's not starving to death. Elijah's not eating the king's food. But Elijah's not stealing in order to survive either. God's provided bread that is convenient for Elijah to live on. But in verse 7, we're going to see, And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. So the brook dries up. And we talked about this a little um, in the first couple uh, recordings. But Elijah here declares this judgment, and a drought is not something that's immediately felt. But as time goes on, that judgment gets worse and worse and worse. The first week without rain or dew, I mean, that's not ideal, but things are not suffering. And as you go on, the first month, it's starting to get dry. Three months in, and streams are starting to get dry. Uh, six months in, and things are dying out because they've got no water to live. And so here, this is a gradual over time. He doesn't wake up one morning and the night before the brook was full, and that morning the brook's dry, but day by day the brook is getting drier and drier. There's less and less water flowing down through this brook. So the opportunity is there for doubt, for fear, to, for worry to begin to set into Elijah's mind. Uh, I, I've never been through a, a terrible drought in my lifetime, but I can remember a few times where the brook that runs by uh, my mamma and papa's house, it would get very, very dry. And my family would go and they would dig holes down in the stream bed to try to catch some of that water running down through there to water their animals with. And so the, the flow that was normally enough, they were now digging out holes to try to catch ponded water for the animals to drink of. And I, I believe there you can see Elijah as day by day the brook's getting drier and drier and drier. Maybe he's digging a hole out in the bed of this creek to try to catch some water to survive on. And you know, as it, as it gets drier, the doubt could creep into the mind and say, well, God, I'm going to die here. This is the end of my life. I'm not going to be able to survive when this brook dries up. But he doesn't get up and leave when it starts getting low. He doesn't begin to doubt. He doesn't pray, God, uh, the brook's going to dry. He's trusting God the entire way, and he's going to dwell there even to the place that there's absolutely no water left in the stream. He says in Matthew chapter 6, and this is a, a, a very familiar scripture, but the Lord Jesus says, No man can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than raiment, and the body more than meat? I got that backwards. Is not the life more than meat, 
and the body more than raiment. So let's skip on down to verse 31. Take Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So here Jesus is directing, and you know to say, don't worry about eating, don't worry about wearing clothes, that's not exactly what he's saying. But he's saying don't be anxious, don't have anxiety, worrying about whether you're going to eat or whether you're going to have clothes. God the Father knows that we have need of clothes. He knows we have need of a job. He knows that we have need of money to pay our bills. God knows these things. But don't let that be your central focus and worry and what all of your effort is going to. Put the kingdom of God first and serve the Lord first and foremost and God can add the clothes, the food, the job that we have need of. He can provide all of those things by His power. My focus ought to be on following God first and foremost. So Elijah, he's looking at the brook. The brook's drying up. The brook dries up and Elijah does not get up and leave until God speaks to him. He is still dwelling by the brook when the brook dries up. Now this life, there's lots of things that man could be anxious, worry, and fearful about. But there's no value in that. The value is in serving the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting Him for every need. God is able to provide that. Let us follow God and seek His face and seek His kingdom and the Lord will add everything else unto us. I believe that. That's the word of God. So the brook dries up and Elijah's there and he's got no water. And so the word of the Lord came unto him saying, now God had not stuck him there and forgot about him. God didn't hide him and not remember his servant. Now there's the way that man thinks. That's the carnal mind to a T. That man begins to think, well now my brook's dried up. God must have just put me out here and forgot about me. But friends, you can be guaranteed of this. If God puts you somewhere... God knows where you are. The Lord Jesus tells us, even the hairs of your head are numbered. The Lord has not forgotten nor forsaken His people. He's aware. He's aware of Elijah. He's aware of the need that Elijah has. But as you'll see, this is the perfect plan of God. This brook is going to dry up at the exact time that God needs Elisha to go and see a widow woman. It's all the plan of God and God's plan is perfect. Nothing to fear. Nothing to worry about. It's under the control of the Savior. And so we see in John chapter 11 a very familiar scripture and goes very well with this that they come and say, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. Lazarus is going to die. But the Lord tarries four days. Now why would he tarry that long 
before he goes to where Lazarus was because that was the perfect plan of God. Lazarus, in the end, it's not going to make a difference to Lazarus whether he dies and lays there four days and Jesus resurrects him or Jesus comes and heals him. He's going to be alive afterwards either way, right? Sure he is. So the difference is that God is going to receive more glory. Wouldn't you think that God would like to receive glory out of our life? That ought to be the way we think and not worry, doubt, and fear everything that happens. The Lord's not forgot about Elijah. There's going to be a word of God to Elijah and it's going to be right on time. The word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So the word of God comes to Elijah, and he's going to send him to Zarephath, a city of Zidon. So Zidon, a Gentile nation, you'll read in the New Testament a lot of times, Tyre and Sidon. That's the same place. Zarephath, a Gentile city. So is it fair to say that this widow woman was a Gentile? I believe it's very fair to say because the Lord Jesus says that much in the New Testament. And we'll turn there in just a minute. But it's worth noting now that the Lord Jesus, in His ministry on the earth, He made one trip <coughs> that we have recorded outside of Israel and outside of Judah in his ministry. And that one trip was to the coast of Tyre and Sidon in Matthew 15 verse 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. So Jesus made one trip into the Gentile nations that we have record of in the New Testament, and that was to Tyre and Sidon. Elijah is going to be sent out of Israel into Sidon and into Zarephath to dwell. Now, I, you know, what a type and a shadow here of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to minister to the same place and to the same city. And Jesus went there. There's going to be a Gentile woman there that's going to cry to the Lord for mercy for her daughter's sake. And here, the man of God's going to be sent to a widow woman. And you know, you think about this event here. The Lord Jesus calls attention to this in Luke chapter number 4. Verse number 24, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. And, you know, as sad as that is, that's very much the case. It seems over and over again, and uh, I, I'm just a, <clears throat> a Sunday school teacher where I go, but, you know, if somebody new comes and teaches, there's more attention paid to the new person. When revival comes and a new man comes to preach, there's more attention paid to the new man because I'm just a part and I'm always there. The pastor's a part and he's always there. And I believe it's the case everywhere. The, the people get used to the person. They get used to the voice. They get used to the mannerisms. And the one place that he receives, the prophet receives the least honor, is in the country where he dwells. 
Well, the Lord Jesus says that as well, even in reference to himself. His home country, they said, why, that's just Joseph's boy. That's all that is. And so, the Lord Jesus says that here. And here's examples of this. But I tell you of a truth. Now, the Lord Jesus says, I'm telling you the truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, that's Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. So the Lord Jesus says there was many widows in the land of Israel. And no doubt, during this three years and six months of famine, of great famine, now you think about what that would be like, that there's no rain or dew for three years and six months. What do you think the land would look like with no rain or dew for three years' time? My God, what a famine that there was in the land. And there was many widows, and no doubt there was many great needs through the land of Israel during that time. But unto none of them was Elias, Elijah sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. So Jesus says, Elijah wasn't sent to any of those in Israel. He was sent to a woman in a Gentile nation, in a Gentile city, who was a Gentile, and that is where Elijah ministered and strengthened. Now, who made that decision? Who decided that Elijah wasn't going to a widow of Israel but was going to this widow in Sidon. It was God's decision. It was God's choice that this woman receive help and that nobody else in the land received any help. Now, people say, well, God's not fair that he wouldn't offer the same to other people. And people even argue the fact that, well, everybody's got the same opportunity. And we hear that today, that everybody's got the same measure of faith. Everybody's got the same opportunity. But we can't, we can't make that work with Scripture. Paul says in one of his letters that all men have not faith. And let's look. I believe we can easily take Scripture and I believe we can easily prove that every man does not receive the same opportunity. They didn't in Jesus' day. Matthew chapter 11, verse number 20. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most, that's the largest number, that's the meaning of that word, of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Cherazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. This scripture cuts out a lot of the deceitfulness that you hear today. So some would say, well, the choice of God is based on his knowledge that I would believe. And we can, let me rephrase that. God knew I would believe, therefore he appeared to me. 
Well, that's not the case here. God says, if Tyre and Sidon receive the same opportunity that you've received, they would have repented. But they did not, did they? Not by the word of God. Tyre and Sidon did not receive the same opportunity that Bethsaida and Chorazin received. Now, who made that choice? That was God's choice. So how do we receive opportunity today? It's God's choice. And every man does not have the same opportunity. Tyre and Sidon did not have the same opportunity that Bethsaida and Chorazin had. And it's not because God knew those wicked people over there wouldn't believe. No, absolutely not. Jesus says they would have repented. They would have believed. They would have been different if they had the same opportunity. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. So there is going to be a greater punishment because they had greater opportunity. Now that's the word of God, that Tyre and Sidon is going to have a more tolerable judgment. It's going to be more bearable, more endurable judgment than Bethsaida and Chorazin because Bethsaida and Chorazin had greater opportunity to believe the gospel. And so on down, and thou Capernaum, he's going to give us another city, which art exalted unto heaven, shalt be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. So here, boy, you talk about going bold. I've said this many times. But now, if you're going to pick, if I said to you, what's the most wicked, ungodly, and sinful place, past or present, that you know of? I think overall, and, and well over 50%, I would say, would answer Sodom and Gomorrah. And for good reason, they were a wicked, wicked place. But notice what the Lord says of Capernaum, that if Sodom had received the same opportunity that they had, Sodom would still be with us today. They would have been different, and they would not have been destroyed. But Capernaum did not repent at the mighty works of Christ Jesus. Therefore, they were going to be judged because they did not repent. So notice now, it's not because God knew I would believe. That's, that's not it. God knew Tyre and Sidon would have repented. He knew that Sodom and Gomorrah would have repented. But they did not receive the opportunity that Capernaum, Bethsaida, and Chorazin received. Now I realize that's a hard, hard pill to swallow. But that is the Word of God. That is what the Word of God says. And to answer that question, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, I believe we see. So we've got to reconcile these scriptures and get a right understanding. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the Word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified, even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men 
have not faith. So faith is that that's given by God unto man. We know that. And Paul says here, all men have not faith. So then the scripture that you always hear, well, God's give every man the measure of faith. Okay. Then how do you reconcile that with this verse in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2, for all men have not faith. Now they, they've got to reconcile. There's, there's no contradiction. You know who's God's dealt faith to every man? Those that believe the gospel and are in the church. Everyone that's saved and born again has been dealt a measure of faith. But you know, there's ungodly and unreasonable and wicked men in this world that do not have faith. Why, preacher, God gives everybody that measure and it's up to them what they do with it. It's not what the Bible says. All men have not faith. Not everybody's going to be saved. God's not dealt faith to every man. He's dealt faith to those as he sees fit. And Jesus says one more place in John chapter 15 of the disciples. And you really think about the story of the disciples, especially Peter, James, and John. There they are. They're fishermen. They're out on the sea. Jesus says, follow me, and there they go. It's a pretty, it's a pretty miraculous story of itself that these men are going to leave their parents and their, their business and their money and their fish and their boats and their nets. They're going to forsake all that and follow the Lord. Sounds very unlikely. It's miraculous, really. How did that come to be? Well, they were, they were just good men, and they, they believed, they exercised their faith, and they chose to follow Jesus. Well, let's see what the Lord Jesus says. John 15, verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that you should go forth, and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. How did they become disciples? They were chosen. They didn't choose. They were chosen. Why did they follow? Because they were chosen. Why do we follow? Because God's give us faith, and we were chosen. There's no glory for man. There's no glory for me. I can't look at you or look at this man or that lady and say, I believed it and you didn't. I'm better than you. No, the only reason man believes is because God grants him the opportunity to believe and to repent. And not everyone receives the same opportunity. There's only one widow here in this famine that's going to get help and it's this widow. And notice this as well. God commanded her. It's not, Elijah, listen, go down there and if she'll feed you, if she'll do what you say, then well and good. And if she don't, I'll send you somewhere else. Absolutely not. God's not sending his man on a whim of if man's going to do or not. And God doesn't say, I know that she's going to. No, God says, I've commanded. And notice this, it's the exact same word as in 1 Kings 17, verse 4. I have commanded the ravens 
to feed you. Now, God didn't go to the ravens and say, Look, would you do this for me? God said, You're going to do this, and that's the way it was. Wouldn't you say that's how it worked with the ravens? That's the way it's going to work with this widow woman, too. I've commanded her. She's going to provide. Don't worry about it, Elijah. Don't doubt what, whether you're going to the Gentiles or not. Don't wonder, well, there's no point in going down there. They're not going to believe. No, Elijah, I've commanded her, and she's going to provide. She's going to obey. She's going to do what you say because I've commanded her to do so. To constitute, to enjoin, to give charge. That's the way that God works. It's not on a whim, but it's by the direction, by the commandment of the Word of God. I'm thankful for the opportunity to get to study. I'm really enjoying this, uh, these scriptures and looking at Elijah so far. It's been wonderful for me. I hope it's the same for you. Uh, it's actually went much better than I envisioned it going. And I'm certainly thankful to the Lord for that. Uh, I, I, I hardly ever say this, but it should be said. If you ever have a question, if, if you want to discuss it, um, I, I've got an email set up, Only the Word Podcast. Only the Word Podcast at gmail.com. It's in the description of every episode that I put out. If you ever have a question, you want to discuss something, you can email me directly and I'll do my best to get back with you. And I, I'm thankful for everyone that listens. I hope the Lord richly blesses you in His Word. And we're certainly thankful to the Lord for His provision for us spiritually and naturally as well. Hope you have wonderful services. We love you. Pray for us.